welcome to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast with your hosts, Mike Gore, Jocelyn Gotto, and James Kazina. This podcast is an all-in-one devotional, essential for anyone trying to figure out how to follow Jesus in today's world. Each month, we'll release four different episodes, including stories from the field, preaching, and conversations with special guests. For more information, head over to opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz. Here's today's episode. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of the Open Doors Live podcast. We're so excited to introduce you to some really special guests today. So we have a conversation between our CEO, Mike Gore, and Mark and Darlene Check, who are the senior pastors of Hope UC. We truly hope that this conversation around church, worship, faith, and the persecuted church is a blessing to you. We hope you love this episode. Thanks so much for listening to the Open Doors Live podcast. Well, Pastor Mark and Darlene, welcome to Conversations with Open Doors. It's great to have you here. Hey, thanks, Mike. Great to be with you. Great to be here. Checky, that soundtrack, man, I put that on for you because I saw you do a TikTok on Instagram and I thought, man, maybe we, when we come live, you'll be dancing away or doing something like that, but that's in your honour there. Look, it's my heart's desire. I just want to be <laughs> a social media uh, star. So every time I try to get my daughters to come over, I say, well, what dance could we do yeah. today? Um, let's put it up on TikTok, let's do something funny, but I've got no uh, partners involved yet. Um, so I'm working Just hard. you and Zoe for a little bit. Hey. Yes, we've had yeah. one that's right. attempt. That's that inner, that's that inner child in him, isn't it, Dals? The uh, <laughs> secret chickie that wants to come out it. and sort of dance around the world. It. Hey, um, look, it's great to have you guys. You've been long-term supporters of Open Doors and the work we do. But just to give, I guess, our listeners a little bit of background and a couple of the, the key memories I have from you guys, which I love. The number one is, I reckon almost 20 years ago, Mark, um, when you and I were working in the Christian music world, I was on a plane flight from um, from Nashville. It must have been going back to Denver or Chicago, somewhere like that. But I was all the way down the back of the plane, sort of sitting by myself. And throughout the flight, you wandered down. And I think you must have spent maybe, I don't know, two or three hours just chatting to me about life, about faith. Um, it was just an incredible thing that I'll remember, but you probably don't. And then if I jump over to Dahl's for a minute, I remember being at your house and having dinner and you're sitting down and you just came and there was 20 other people there, but you said, Mike, tell me what's been happening and just ask me story after story after story. And I thought, man, these are all these incredible stories. And then I said, Dahls, what have you been up to? And he said, oh, last week I was over at the Vatican singing with Andrea Bocelli. And I'm like, right, my story's here. <laughs> but what I, what I love is that you have this ability to make people feel like they're the center of your world and for that moment, where did you get that from? How do you actually have that ability and where does it come from? Uh, I don't know, Mike. I just think um, everyone has a story. And, you know, I always appreciated growing up, you know, when I was a young Christian, that people were always interested in my journey that, you know, as I grew up in Christ. And I just feel like, you know, everyone needs to be known, they need to be seen. And um, it's the very least we can do, you know, I think um, we say something at our church, it's like my story, our story, his story. So my story is mine and yours is yours. And once we share it, it's kind of ours. And all of it, you know, points to in the end his story. You know, so I just think story is so important. And the power of the testimony that they overcame by the blood of the Lamb 
power of the testimonies. So we've got to get good at telling our story and also listening to other people's stories. It's really important. I love that. I think so often, even looking at the persecuted church, I think we sometimes fail to remember that persecution was a catalyst that forced the gospel out of Jerusalem beyond the four walls of right. the um, of Jerusalem at that stage. But what we think is, hey, man, they must have just been walking, talking preachers. No, 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 they were just walking, talking storytellers because as they turned up in other cities, all they would say was, man, what are you doing here? And I think they would have answered, well, Saul was persecuting us and we had to leave. Well, why was he persecuting you? Oh, because we follow Jesus. Well, who's Jesus? And so it's simply, as you said, it's like our story, his story. They all come together. And so I love the notion of storytelling. I think you've absolutely nailed it, that that's the heartbeat of what I do, of what we do as Christians. Even, even that um, idea of the early church you mentioned, Mike, we often sometimes romanticise that when we read the scriptures now. But here we are globally, you're in your lounge room, we're in our lounge room, everyone's in isolation, shut down, all the people watching us are isolated in some way, and you think, oh, this is a world first. But actually, when you really study um, the journey, the Apostle Paul um, was the guy that was forced into isolation, just happened to be called a prison cell, and inside that prison cell, he wrote those prison epistles which here we are 2,000 plus years later, reading those, getting encouragement from those, ministering to us, the Holy Spirit, you speaking through those scriptures. But because of his isolation, we're today being benefited. They gave him the latest technology, pen and a piece of paper to go and write those letters. He thought at that particular point of isolation that his ministry was actually being shrunk that he wasn't able to travel and communicate, that he, he wasn't able to see people face to face. Look, we all want it. Don't, don't, let's not forget yeah. that the moment they open those gates, we're going to be out of this lounge room <laughs> and we're going to be yeah. in churches all around yeah. the world, singing, yeah. praising, hugging. Everybody wants that. Mm. Um, but, you know, some, you know, we have a saying, we always say, don't waste a good crisis. So in the midst of whatever crises we're in, including those people in a persecuted church, we want to make sure that out, out of that crisis, let's, let's acknowledge the crises, let's um, have empathy for people who are in a crisis, who've been affected by a crisis, but let's make sure something good comes out of this. Right. And again, that's going to take something on our half to do that. That's great. It's, it's beautiful. I think, and even today for today's conversation, guys, I, you know, we're going to have so many viewers, I guess, walking through all sorts of different elements, whether it be isolation, uncertainty, and the beauty of what I've always believed is not only the scriptures, but the persecuted church today are brilliant spiritual mentors and almost like, I mean, it's one body, they're partners in our faith walk and our journey. And I think one of the things that is a hallmark of your leadership at Hope UC is the ability to have not only a love for people and a love for God, but a courageous lens on that. And I think, Dales, if we look over your life, your life story, a public battle with cancer over the last several years now, it's really been essentially a season of immense uncertainty. And now you come forward a couple of years and, and the world is gripped almost to a standstill with what? With uncertainty, right? So yeah. uh, I'd really love to know, particularly for our viewers who some might be battling cancer themselves, like my mum has done so, um, people who are just wrestling with isolation, 
But what are, I guess, two or three lessons that you've learned in that victory over cancer that you've now unknowingly been able to bring into 2020 and, um, and are leading us forward? Yeah, look, a couple of things just straight away, you know, in Exodus when it says, you know, stand still and, and see the deliverance of God. You know, it's our, it's our role to, like, I'm not going to, sometimes we can fight and, you know, be the victors in there, but there are some times when something is happening to you where actually your job is to be and to be in Christ and to stand still and watch him deliver you. And I feel like, you know, in many on many levels we're in that right now. And so learning to trust in the nature of God and when you, especially if you're a doer, you know, having to be still and know, I think it's a really powerful thing to learn. But the other word that is really significant to us is that word hope. You know, this isn't this isn't at the end. You know, we're in a we're in a valley, but actually, hope is alive, and you can actually feel hope rising. You know, I can I can feel it across the global church. I can. I can sense it, this spiritual hope that is so an anchor for us in this season. And, you know, we, we hope um, not in vain things. It's not cross our fingers and hope that something good's going to happen. We are hoping in the, in the fullness and the promise of God that he has already promised us. You know, and I, I feel like the church, as she rises out of this season you know we're we're going to look more like Jesus and mm. that's a lot of hope you know we the church is the Jesus as the head of the church is the hope of the world you know so we got a lot to look forward to so as Mark said let's not waste this time of being you know and understanding what the Holy Spirit is um, driving down deep in each one of us because I really believe when we rise out we're going to be in a whole different um, ball game when it comes to spiritual things across the earth. We've got to be ready. So use this time to dig your own personal wells deep in your heart so that when you come out, you know, there's there's lots of living water that's just ready to flow into this new season. It's, uh, it actually really, to me, parallels in so many ways the Mary and the Martha story. You, you, if we look at Mary... Her decision, her action to be still, yeah. it required more courage than Martha's to do work, right? It also in, required trust in who Jesus was and a hope for what he would bring. And then yeah. you jump forward to a Martha, who is probably a lot more like Checky and myself, who likes to get stuff done. Mark, I guess walking next to Dahls in that journey, you know, one of the things I've learned through COVID is that isn't it funny how that there's a massive link between control and our faith. So when the things in the external part of our world are no longer in our control, when we go to the shops, where we work from, what we do, all of a sudden it kind of starts to rock our faith. And somewhat in a, a Martha kind of task-driven sense, there's a real link between control and faith. And it's when we lose control that faith can sometimes become un unstable. Now, in your journey with Dahl's, and the battle of overcoming cancer, walking alongside her when things, I guess, were no longer in your control. Have there been two or three 
leadership's lessons as, I guess, being her biggest support, but also learning what it means to lead and to live as a Christian when you can't control the things around you? Yeah, look, I think um, it's a powerful question um, and it definitely applies across the board. So, you know, in, in many areas, there's many times I've found myself in positions where I go, I can't dictate the outcome here. And so if God doesn't come through, um, this is all going to end in tears. And so, but I, I, that can feel pressure, um, but I've learned over decades now to go, that, that's not my burden to carry. The outcome is not my burden. And so be it in whether it's a conversation where I might have to confront and comfort somebody. Um, again, I can't control the outcome of that conversation, um, whether it's, you know, hopping on a plane, going to the other side of the world and trying to rally people to some big mission endeavour. Again, I can't control what that outcome is going to be or even, you know, what, whether Darlene's going to surgery or chemo or radiation. I, I can't know, even understand that. So I've had to learn to not carry those outcomes. What I have to learn, I suppose, is to carry that I've done my best. Um, and my little saying is, do your best and leave the rest to God. And, and I just think that's been a really simple but a, but a profound mantle for someone like me who, who, as you said, I like to do, I like to have a plan, I like to have a strategy um, about things, I like to predict the outcome. And the only th outcome I can actually predict is that I lie, put my, bed, my head on the pillow at night and say, I did my best. Yeah. God, the outcome is your responsibility. And if it doesn't go the way I planned, hopefully it doesn't go the way I planned. Again, even as a church, when we took on the church in just over 10 years ago, we were very clear that we didn't want to write a mission statement or a vision statement because I was nervous that what we wrote would actually limit what God could do. And um, since then, we've done those things and we've been good corporate citizens and we've done all of that. <laughs> but in those first six or seven years, yeah. I, I, I... We tried. I, yeah, we tried. We tried, yeah. but we're like... Yeah. It doesn't feel right. Yeah. But, but I just, you know, we believe God's miraculous. We believe God's mysterious. We believe it's God's faithful. big. We believe God's faithful. Yeah. So why wouldn't I allow God's vision for this particular problem to come through rather than the way I see the outcomes? Because his outcomes are much better than what I could picture. That's good. That's great. I find that really powerful. I think that um, when we often... That is that element of the both and. It's like, hey, what can I do? And then what part does God bring? But it's actually interwoven. It's together. Um, it probably leads me to my next question, Dales. This is, is more for you. And I, what I see is the question I guess I want to ask you is how do you protect against your identity in Christ being absorbed by your role within either church or the music world as such? Like too often I would say that... Um, whether business owners, musicians, leaders, basically because of our love for God, we get into something. But then there's this weird sort of point where it goes from my love, let's say to use me as an example, my love for serving people gets me into open doors and my love for God sees me do it. 
But then there's this point in life where everything changes. The next thing you know, if it came time for me to finish at Open Doors, my whole spiritual life falls apart because somewhere along there, my identity went from being in Christ to being in my title at Open Doors. How, looking back over all of the years of incredible um, blessing, opportunity that you've had and you're still having in that kind of fame-based Christian world, how do you protect yourself from having your identity end up in what people see you as, as opposed to in Christ? Because I think there could be young artists watching this, um, worship leaders from other churches watching this, business leaders. And so I'd be really interested in, in knowing how do you protect yourself from that, Dales? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we, we can all dip in and out of that security and security, you know, identity. But I think for that I've learned over years and years is that word abide, you know, abiding in Christ and, and him abiding in you. You, can, you can't do living from that place of abiding in Christ. You can't do that on the fly. You can't um, find that depth in him and finding who you are in him just by a little quick, you know, like 30-second pick and flick in the word and off I go. It's actually, a, you, you know, you've got to deepen that relationship with God. So actually great things can come and storms can come but it doesn't rock actually who you are in Christ. And in fact, you know, it's actually through the storms that you really learn that stuff so that when there is mountaintops and it just doesn't hold the allure because you actually know, I know who I am without him (laughs) and I know who I am in him and I know where I'm going to stay and in him in him I live and move and have my being not my doing my being it's that abiding in and I think that the earlier you can learn that the healthier your Christian walk will be the miracles are addictive so seeing God's mercy and grace <laughs> um, overcome and the opportunities and the, all of those things that you go, that wasn't man-made, I didn't, yeah. did that, that didn't happen because I organised it, uh, you know, and again, I, I want more of that. I don't want to be look back at history and go, I made that happen, this happened, no. I, I pushed that wheelbarrow all the way up the hill. I go, it was my I, effort. I want the CV or the chronological history of our lives to be miracle, 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 miracle. miracle. <laughs> and that then keeps you very grounded. Very, yeah, because you know it's not you. Yeah. You know, it's like right. it had to be God that did that and, you know, we just want to yield ourselves, hey, and keep saying yes to whatever he's asking. And it's funny, it's not it's not the mountaintops that create dependence, right? You could have a whole life of mountaintops and be not dependent on God and I think that's one of the beauties of the valley is that even the whole imagery of the valley is that in a valley runs a stream and that stream is a river of life and his name is Jesus. And I think that too often we only look to those mountaintop experiences, but actually without the valleys, you would have no dependence. And and I really want to encourage you that, that having known you now for 20 odd years, your people who actually live and breathe that you walk 
um, the walk, you talk the talk. And I don't say that as a term of flattery. I really do want to encourage you in leadership, knowing how hard it is, even at Hope UC, to step out of the world you're in to where you are now with Hope Global and all the things you're working on. You really do have a consistency and character that is infectious to the people around you. Um, we, we talk about, uh, a good friend of me to me once said, suffering is not so much an absence of the gospel, but the essence of the gospel. If you look back over the last 15 years, have you seen a shift in the role suffering has played within the theology, I guess, of the church, or even maybe more, not the theology, the, 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 the I guess, the forefront? Is it, has it been talked about more? Is it more part and parcel of faith? I would say 100%, and I would say in a healthy way. Um, you know, I remember growing up um, really not even being able to, not finding anyone to talk to about suffering. I'm like, is, does this mean I don't have faith? It was like suffering equated to your faith level. And I'm like, I'm a woman of faith, and yet why, why do I suffer? And it was actually... Um, when I was going through chemo and I was, you know, I had a couple of very crazy experiences in God and kind of, you know, feeling like I wasn't going to make it. And coming out of one of those, one of the ladies from our church who's a real intercessor, she said to me, um, isn't, it, isn't it such a joy to be invited into the sufferings of Christ? And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> And actually, I, as I spent months, you know, in that bed looking at that in Scripture, by the end I'm like, isn't it a joy to be invited into the sufferings of Christ? I'm like, oh, God, thank you. And actually now you say I, I lay down my life and I pick up my cross. God, I, I want to be in that. Well, this is not about my lack of faith. This is my relationship with you. And, oh, man, I see it so differently than I used to. What were you going to say? No, I think you're right, uh, Mike, is that in the last 15, 20 years there, you know, years ago there was a real um, focus or intention around a, a positive gospel, which yeah. I've loved and yeah. benefited from and yeah. I think the church at large has needed. Um, but, again, those early years possibly with a overemphasis in that area, then the idea that there is no suffering as a Christian is naive. And yet, you know, the work that you guys do at Open Doors, every day there will be stories of suffering. And so how to reconcile that with a gospel that's a story of hope um, is a challenge. You guys probably have experienced much more maturity in, in terms of um, people's Christian walk than um, what people like us in the West um, ha have to face. So now watching sometimes Christians face some sort of challenge and see how it really actually totally disorientates them. I mean, the book of Ephesians talks about it, you know, a boat tossed around by every wind of doctrine, mm -hmm. which means they don't have the idea of suffering sorted out in terms of their 
their theology. I think it's a very important attribute that we need to maybe not promote because no one wants to um, have a go to the church of the suffering. Um, but again, we actually have to have a deeper understanding yeah. about how this is part of our faith. Yeah, and I think that that's a beautiful thing, isn't it, Mark? It's like it's not an either or gospel. It's a both and. No. And I think that's the, yeah. the wrestle is too often we can get caught up in thinking, well, it can only either be positive or suffering because people who argue both ends of that spectrum generally want their cause to win. But the truth is it's a both and. And that's the beauty of following Christ is it will be earmarked by mountaintops and valleys. But the truth of it is it's not one or the other. It's a both and. As we, um, as we sort of get ready to wrap up, I know you've been on Zoom conversations all day long and you're looking forward to <laughs> a nice dinner and some relaxation. But um, can, you, can you maybe give us a little bit of a picture of Hope Global? I love the work you guys do and, and maybe how India is going at the moment. And then maybe more specifically, um, why it is that you, you see value, I guess, in the work of Open Doors, but more than that, value in the survival of the church at large and why you're so um, so helpful and, and so willing to give up your time to talk to people like us. Look, I, I, we love the work of Open Doors. And I think, again, um, you know, I just would speak so positively about it. as a church, it's the one organisation outside of our mission that we align with. And we just think what you're doing, it right on the front edge of some of those areas which are, to be honest, tough. Um, you know, recently we had the opportunity to go back into the Middle East last land of last year and, again, watching the tensions um, culturally, spiritually, um, religion, politically, and I just go, wow, this is really hard work. Yeah. Um, and, and, again, just so thankful for, you know, people like yourself and all of the team that work yeah. At Open Doors, not just in Australia, but globally, the network there is so powerful. Um, Yeah, I think um, we've just always had a heart uh, um, as individuals. We've felt like our life is blessed. There's no doubt that we've been had some amazing opportunities that we give God thanks for. That's his doing. We were just two young kids growing up in a very suburban area that God somehow elevated. And so because of that, um, ourselves, our children, and now even our grandchildren, we want to do everything we can to show them how the rest of the world lives. And so it's very important, I think. And so once you understand when you go to Africa or India or in some parts of Asia and see how the majority of the world's population live, um, there's an obligation that we must have to help and support, pray um, and do whatever we can. So we've got a great love for all of those nations. In particular, we've gone, um, the churches that we're, we're associated with that we've helped um, support and encourage. One one of those countries is India. We love it, yeah. and so we're talking about you know churches in Hyderabad and Calcutta and doing all sorts of mission work in those places. But again, you know that that covers a whole broad spectrum. But the church there is obviously they're under the pump, yeah. as we would say as Aussies. They they are trying to preach the gospel in a country that's trying to be a Hindu nation. So, of course, that's going to bump up somewhere. 
And so, but at the same time, wherever there's tension, wherever there's persecution, there's also um, God's grace. And so there's a great favour in the church that's rising up there. That Look, India, I, it's, I, don't, I, I don't know that we know the true numbers of what's happening with COVID. COVID yeah. But, um, you know, how well, I do know, I spoke to one of my colleagues yesterday, the rural areas actually in India are doing reasonably well. It's the largest cities that aren't doing so well, in particular Delhi and Mumbai. They just put Hyderabad in lockdown just again in the last few weeks, zoning people into colour codes. You're in a red zone, you're in an orange zone, you're in green. You have to have paperwork to travel between each one of those zones. If you don't have the right piece of paper, you can't move. Um, so it's becoming a police state in that sense. Yeah. So we, we need to pray for all these people yeah. because... Um, you know, we, we live in a very blessed country, one of the one of the great countries in the world, where we're talking about this week about how to release um, ourselves out of COVID. Mm-hmm. When countries like India, they're they're going deeper and deeper about lockdown. And they, they don't have the privilege of isolation or social yeah. distancing. Yeah. You know, they don't have that privilege. And we're not talking now about water and immunization and food. We're talking, you know, they do not have the privilege to sit away from someone. It just is not even in their, they're not able to do that. It's not in their physical capacity. So, you know, this is where we as the church need to really pray. And I I believe that God answers prayers and and we need to pray together, you know, for these countries that are so tight as far as, you know, people per square metre, um, yeah, we've got to really pray that hedge of protection, the blood of Jesus over these places because we just, you know, we don't want to see what our greatest fear would be in these, in these places. That's right. And look, I think Brother Andrew, the founder of Open Doors, has always said if we truly knew the power of prayer, we'd be on our knees 100 times a day asking for things that will turn the world upside down. And I think looking back through... Um, even where we find ourselves with COVID and all of the other things, actually there's such a massive opportunity for the gospel because what we're seeing echoed around the world is that even in the UK, one of the latest research polls says one in four people have turned to prayer or something like this because as, as, as the unbelieving world question the existence of God, they cry out, God, where are you? What we need to protect from is established Christians like you and I and the people we do life with asking the same question but cooling down in their faith, going, God, how could this be? Because actually both sides of the world right now are going to God and our key, whether it's India or Australia, is to stop the great divergence, bring it back together and share Jesus in the middle of it. And I think you guys are two brilliant examples of that with the work you do through Hope Global and Scott and the whole team over there, through 4B Media, through Hope UC. And so I just want to say a massive thank you for joining us today on our first ever conversations and giving up time to, um, yeah, just to talk about life, faith, and your journey in particular, Dales, of overcoming um, uncertainty. Because I think that message today, man, it is going to speak to a lot of people. So from me to you. We thank thank you. We honour you guys, everyone at Open Doors. We honour you and we pray for you as a church. We just speak blessing over you. Amen. Hey, we love we love declaring blessing. We have a blessing at the end of every of every one of our services. Um, we bless you, Mike. We bless the work of your hands and the work that's in your heart. 
We bless it in Jesus' name. Thank you so much, guys. It is a great privilege and honor to do life with you. And I look forward to coming up for another dinner sometime soon. Great. Love you guys. God bless you all. We'll see ya. Thanks for listening to the Open Doors Live podcast with your hosts, Mike Gore, Jocelyn Gotto, and James Kazina. We hope the life-changing stories and lessons from the persecuted church help you follow Jesus, no matter the cost. To find out more, head over to opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz. I'm your producer, Bethany Ross, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast.